listening this is obsessive comic disorder i am gene deweber and today my guest is sean o'neill how you doing sean very well gene happy to have you here yes thank you for uh letting me uh, record your place this is the on the road version of the uh, like for the month of uh december january and who knows for how long uh, <laughs> i'm just gonna be consistently recording at other people's places because i just moved and there are a bunch of kids at the place i live at right now so well i consider that uh yeah yeah i mean you got to do what you got to do but this uh this room that we're in used to be a music room it used to be a piano room really yeah interesting yep hmm. i um uh, we're in a hundred year old house right now that used to be a lot grander and now it's apartments so it's a it's an apartment where like your landlord was like we i don't want to see you i'm just gonna make it so that you have your own little kitchen you have yeah, like, yeah yeah yeah. Like, i used to have a kitchen in the main part of the house now i have a closet with a uh, microwave and a mini fridge in it so <laughs> She's like, this is, this is how I feel about you. That's, I mean, it's better than the guy who lived here before me. He lived in the shed in the backyard. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yes. I felt He's a little still bit there. Actually, <laughs> I haven't seen him in a couple of months. <laughs> Every once in a while, I hear some moaning and lightning sounds, but I don't know what that's about. All right, so we're uh, today we're talking about a uh, comic called Black Orchid. It's uh, by Neil Gaiman with art by Dave McKean. Um, you might know Neil Gaiman from The Sandman. Uh, the movie Stardust is a pretty popular one that a lot of people know about. Dave McKean, on the other hand, he did a lot of covers for Sandman, but I don't think he ever did art for that for an issue. He's done a couple issues of Constantine. He's done. Um, he did. Uh, if anyone's ever read uh, or listened to the first episode and gotten to the points where we actually talk about the comic, uh, <laughs> Batman Arkham Asylum, A Serious House on the Serious Hearth, is also uh, Dave McKean's art. It's a very unique art style. I absolutely oh, it love it. Uh, wh- wh- is it watercolor or what is that? Uh, I think he does water. I think he does color over pencil, which is interesting ah. because a lot of people will do with the art, they'll do like. Um, like they'll ink it and mm-hmm. then they'll do the uh, coloration. But when you get pencil, sometimes it's actually easier to be able to do the realistic style, mm-hmm. which um, Dave McKean, he has, he's very dark, but he has a very, like this is very like photorealistic. Absolutely. It, it, it's very colorful for one thing, mm-hmm. which is appropriate considering uh, the main character is, a plant. Uh, yeah. So it's like, let's make it as flowery and colorful as possible, which is a departure from a lot of DC comics, especially Batman, which is just like gray on black on red. It's got, definitely got colors, but it's still very dark. Yeah. It's very brutal. This kind of reminds me of uh, when I was studying film, they, they talked about noir, which are like the uh, old black and white films, which use the shadows to tell the story. Mm-hmm. And uh, then there was a movement in like the 90s, like neo-noir, where they tried to do the same kind of storytelling, but made it bright and colorful with things like uh, Cape Fear by uh, Scorsese. Mm. Did you see that one? 
You know, I I haven't. It's it's on my list of Netflix movies and everything else. It's like a classic Scorsese yeah. film. It's also yeah. a remake of a movie from like the I want to see the original, but I've only seen the De Niro Scorsese mm-hmm. Nick Nolte one. I believe the original has like a Criterion, if I remember ah. right. So it's apparently good. Yes. <laughs> but something I was looking at, I was just looking at the artwork in this. And it's interesting because it does have these vibrant, yeah, it does have these like watercolors. Um, but there's almost this like contrast of black and white for pretty much everything that isn't her yeah. or doesn't need color for certain things. I mean, you see, you'll have moments where there's blood, there's, uh, there's plants. Come to think sky. of it, you're right. Now that we pointed out most of the regular people are in uh, gray tones, yeah. uh, her creator, her mm-hmm. ex-husband for sure. Uh, Batman's just a shadow in this. He's, he's not, mostly, yeah, yeah, mostly a shadow. It's, I mean, it's like Swamp not even a fully kid. green Swamp Thing because he's a plant person. So it's like, yeah, he's a plant person. Yeah, yeah. I I read this before I had ever heard of Swamp Thing ten years ago. And really? Yeah, yeah. I had no idea who he was or what this was all about. It was like a deep dive into the lore of DC in the eighties. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of characters sprinkled in that I had no idea existed and uh, storylines that I had, that I didn't hear yeah. about until much, much later. Well, when I was reading, I noticed, so they mentioned Alice, they have three different people that she had known that, mm-hmm. she, that had all worked with plants. Yes. Um, there was the, her creator, which I don't know if I've recognized him from any other comics, but then there's, um, Alec Holden or Holland, which is, uh, well, Swamp Thing, but not Swamp Thing. Because right. if, if you read uh, Alan Moore's run, which this definitely takes place after Alan Moore, Moore's run, and they, the way they reference it is that she's like, I thought you were Alec Holden. He, she's like, he's like, that's a long story. I'll get to that later. Basically, yeah. <laughs> in that run, they they find out what happened was they were working on some sort of uh, um, I forgot what the, exactly they were working on an experiment in Swamp Thing, and there was an explosion that happened because there was these people who wanted their formula. It killed Alec Holwyn, and when or Holland, when he died, his essence went into the swamp, and it created like this Earth God. Yes. Which is what Swamp Thing is. It's his consciousness, but it's not him. Exactly. Yeah. There is points in the comic where he actually, like, metaphysically talks to Alec Haldwin and lets him, like, go, finally go to, like, heaven or wherever he's supposed to go. Yeah. One thing that I really enjoyed in this comic, I'm not sure if uh, we should get to that later or if I'm skipping around a little bit. We can, we, so for uh, the earlier episodes, we kind of would go for like from start to finish and we can do that. But I, I, what I like to do is just talk about the things that we like because I, we can talk about plot points, but in a way, like I like the idea where someone will listen to this and be like, I want to read that comic. Ah. And so we talk about things we think are interesting about it and all that. So what were you going to say? Well, spoilers, spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point when Black Orchid goes to uh, Swamp Thing for help, he mm-hmm. reaches into her and he takes out seeds. And yes. and he says, these will be your children. Go and plant them where you, where you know best. Mm-hmm. And uh, then she goes away and Swamp Thing's wife comes out. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, who, who was that? Oh, a friend of an old friend. I gave her babies. (laughs) 
I think we need to talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because I, I became aware of Swamp Thing because I read Constantine first. Yes. And in like the first big book of Constantine, the first trade paperback that I got, mm-hmm. Swamp Thing appears saying, Constantine, you promised me something and you're not holding up your promise. Yeah. And he possesses Constantine, takes him all the way down to the bayou so that he can impregnate his wife. Yes, that is that the storyline. That is the craziest thing. So it's like, I'm wondering, did this spark that? <laughs> Look, um, you can't just go giving people babies. You got to give me a baby somehow. <laughs> I think that that storyline actually, I think that was right around the same time. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. like, the introduction of, so Swamp Thing, um, basically the run that really like kind of redefined the character and it made Swamp Thing more popular was Alan Moore's run, which started in like 84, 85, something like that, and mm-hmm. ran until somewhere around 86, 88, something like that. It ran for like 35 issues, I think, because mm-hmm. there's like six different volumes of it. I, I read it all over the course of like four weeks, a few like earlier this year, just because right. like I, I got so into it. And some books, I can't even get that th- far through that fast. But. I haven't read Swamp Thing yet, but I've looked at the the art and it's very, very cool. It's it's really good. Um, So they do introduce uh, John Constantine into that. That's, yeah. that's where he actually first started. In fact, if you re- read Swamp Thing and then you go like that run and then you start uh, um, the Constantine series, which I ended up doing. I had read Constantine a while back. I didn't never got very far in it, but I had read that first arc. It literally picks that first arc literally picks up from the storyline of him and Swamp Thing. Right. And I read uh, Constantine because it was my buddy's favorite Mm -hmm. and I was unaware of Swamp Thing. I mean, I, when reading about Constantine, I, I read that he appeared in Swamp Thing. It was where he made his appearance. And, Mm -hmm. uh, So I was utterly lost with a lot of things in Constantine because (laughs) there is a deep dive into this renaissance of DC where they were recreating Mm -hmm. new character, recreating old characters, giving them new life. And Constantine was weaving through the old and the new characters. And there were a bunch of things, including Swamp Thing, that I just I I didn't know about. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, though, with the nice thing about Constantine as it goes along is the Constantine... It starts out a little bit that way. He mm-hmm. mostly interacts with um, with Swamp Thing, Constantine, right. but mostly he's kind of in his own little like metaverse or like a little pocket hole universe version of the DC universe. Basically, he's the only one that ages. <laughs> yes, he. Yeah, and I think that that is. I think the way that they explain that is the um, sort of post crisis kind of thing or something like that it's not even like they don't even talk about age in real time until Ennis is run if I remember right too oh okay so that's kind of the thing um there's actually a point I read the series Flashpoint Mm -hmm. which was back in 2009 2010 something like that the storyline was Barry Allen after coming back from like the uh Speed Force having been there um basically since uh crisis on infinite earth um he came back he found out that his that professor um zoom or reverse flash or whatever had actually killed his mother Mm -hmm. and so what he does is he goes back in time to save his mother and in doing so he completely fucks up the dc universe 
it has never go back in time. Yeah. Like he, all of a sudden Bruce Wayne died at the hands of, I think, yeah, still Joe, it's like Joe chill, but he killed Bruce Wayne instead of his parents. And so, uh, Thomas Wayne is Batman. Uh, Martha Wayne becomes Joker. I heard about this storyline. Yeah. Yeah. There's things like Superman ended up getting, uh, found by the government and he's like, he looks all weak and like decrepit cause he's, he's been kept underground so he can't use his powers. Like, um, there's a, there's a whole huge war of Atlantis versus, uh, the mascara with the Amazonians. There's like, there's a bunch of just, it completely like fucks up the universe. So at the end of it, he went back in time and fixed it, but that's what created what was called the new 52, mm-hmm. which, things didn't stay didn't so when that happened there was this character called pandora that um had essentially when they went back in time it created caused um three different universes to collide mm-hmm. it was the dc universe as it was at that time it was the um wildstorm universe which was actually interesting enough created by a bunch of people from who used to work for Marvel and DC when they created image comics. Yeah. So it kind of weirdly came for full circle at that point. It's weird how image looks like a giant middle finger. Now that you mentioned yeah. it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, the whole point. Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole thing about image comics. And then there was, and then they also showed like swamp thing and Constantine kind of showing that they were sort of in their other own universe. So there was the vertical universe. Mm-hmm. Um, which had at that time sort of separated. It was still kind of like supposed to be in the universe, but not just like if you've read Sandman, have you read Sandman all the way through? Uh, no, I'm like two thirds of the way through. And then I stopped collecting two years ago. There's an event that there's something happens towards the end and they show in the dreaming, they show like Superman and some other characters like that's, saying that it does exist in the DC universe, even though it doesn't seem like it does. Right. At least that version, that, that period did not, I honestly, perf- my favorite time of the DC universe is probably post crisis and before new 52, mm-hmm. because it just was crazy. There was so much, and it was probably one of the best periods of time for DC because you had things like Sandman, because you had things like black orchid, which was post um, crisis as well. Cause infinite crisis was 85. This is Black Orchid is 88 to 89. Yeah, you recognize these things by actual years and issues. I just kind of see the waves as they happen because that's <laughs> that's uh, the thing that I noticed. I did some research uh, for this episode and mm-hmm. I when I first read Black Orchid 10 years ago, I just thought it was it was loaned to me by an old hippie. And yeah. it's just sort of like, ah, oh, it's a flower hero. And uh <laughs> flower child gave me a flower hero comic and uh and uh i had never heard of her anywhere else and i looked looked it up and uh she was created and appeared in other things in 76 so she wasn't that old of a character no when when this one came out in 88 she was very similar there's a few characters like this that had sort of not been created too much before so doom patrol um 
Black Orchid, Animal Man. There's a few mm-hmm. other characters that had kind of come and gone and had, were sort of throwaway characters. So there were different characters. So, for example, this one was Neil Gaiman and Dave McKean. And then there was a couple other people who were like behind the scenes trying to get their own project up. Mm-hmm. And they were like telling, they were like, yeah, you can't use all these bigger characters. You can maybe put them in it, but like you can't have them be in the main story. And so it was sort of this idea, which often happens where you have these obscure characters and somehow they become the best one, you know? Mm-hmm. Same thing with Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol. Um, the entire cast of characters at the end of the story series that ended in like seventies mm-hmm. die at the end. <laughs> like they all die. They show their graves, like they're all dying. And then they decided to bring back like a whole new crew of, um, of the span, like some stuff happened where, so they came back to life and it wasn't as good. But, um, but Morrison, for example, Graham Morrison was the one that really made Doom Patrol this like what it is today and what made the show, for example. Um, and then Animal Man was also Graham Morrison. <laughs> he also brought that character because it was right after Infer- uh, uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. And there's actually like he turned this character that was sort of this obscure every once in a while pop into things. Maybe he had his own little like DC showcase issue or something like that. And he had this whole storyline about a family. He also keeps on, he breaks the fourth wall a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, it's funny how so many characters before Deadpool broke the fourth wall. Like, but he gets all the credit. He gets all the credit. He does it relentlessly. Yeah. Well, because like, um, She Hulk broke the fourth wall back in the 80s. It's officially noon. Okay. Boom, boom. <laughs> the church near my house has, oh, a, okay. has a... Yeah, this is when I know I've overslept when I hear the church bell go off. Overslept just enough. Yes. Yeah, that's that's what I say. Yeah. So um, the other character, going back to my original thought here, because I said Alec Holdwin, there was all Holland. I keep on saying Holland. Holland. Alec Holden, Holland. And the other guy that I can't remember, the creator, there's also Pamela Isley. And she, obviously, for people who, or for people who don't know who that is, that's Poison Ivy. Yes. The Batman villain. Um, And they were all different people who were essentially working on genetically altering plants to have, like, life. Yes. And I want to talk about Ivy in in this, uh, but I also want to double back because I think we we jumped into this without talking about the plot at all for anyone listening. That's fine. We all can right. get into it. Do you want right. to do you want to talk a little bit about it yourself? Here. All right. Uh, the plot for anyone listening is uh, Black Orchid in the very beginning is undercover and the in this shady organized crime big business place, and she's she dies. Mm-hmm. She she's set on fire and dies. But she sends out a signal to the uh, greenhouse where she was born mm-hmm. and another one of her quote sister clones uh, is born, yeah. but she's born without her memories. So she's just very, she's like a baby. She doesn't remember anything. She doesn't know where she came from. Mm-hmm. And she goes to her uh, creator and starts to ask him questions and mm-hmm. he doesn't get all the way through before. Uh, Hmm. How, how would you describe it? Uh, her, her mother or her, the, 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 the source of her DNA and consciousness. Uh, yeah, it's weird. Cause there's mul- there's two different primary, uh, black orchids in there. So there's, um, God damn it. There's, uh, flora 
Mm-hmm. And then there's uh, the other. What's the other? Susie. One? Susie. Yes. Susie's like a little girl. Yes. Flora is more, and it, it kind of jumps. It almost focuses more on Flora than Susie. Flora is like. the narrator of this Flora's story, or the protagonist. Uh, yeah. Well, and she's the one because there's this woman who was killed, mm-hmm. named Susan. I forgot her last name. But her husband actually murdered her, basically. He was yes. a psychopath. He's he's a big character throughout this. He actually worked for Lex Luthor at one point. Yes. And he, he ends up, in fact, going back. And he, he his whole idea was, like, he loved her so much he didn't want anyone else to be with her. And he found out she was with someone else, and he killed her mm-hmm. um, because they got divorced. And uh, he went to prison for several years. He comes out, and his goal is he finds out that this plant has her memories and DNA and all these things like that. And she, he wants to just wipe it all out. Like he wants to, I can't live with you walking around, baby. (laughs) Exactly. And every time I think of you, I feel like shit, you know, like, yeah, it's, (laughs) and he's singing Sinatra songs the entire time, like a cliche gangster. (laughs) He's just so cliche and dumb. You just hate him so much. It's true. So it goes through, it's three different prime air locations in this, and that's uh, Metropolis is at the start. She goes to Gotham City for a little while because Pamela Isley. And then uh, she also goes to the Louisiana Bayou. Actually, I guess there's four locations. She goes to the Louisiana Bayou, uh, which is where um, Swamp Thing is at. Mm-hmm. And she ends up in Amazon, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's this whole thing. There's a bunch of different characters interact because like Lex Luthor, for example, gets mad because her ex-husband ends up killing uh, the creator. I love that scene so much because he's just sort of like anyone else that destroyed something that I could possibly invest in would have gotten a passport and gone to some terrible South American country. You stick around and ask me for a job. Yeah. You dumb motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so Luther is trying to get his uh, henchmen or people who are working for him. Because this is the period of time where Lex Luthor was a businessman. Yes. So like, I kind of love that, that yeah, vibe. Yeah, because Lex Luthor used to be like a mad scientist for a long time. Mm-hmm. I used and, to watch the Super Friends as a kid yeah. when he was still the cackling mad scientist. <laughs> um, but he's much more terrifying as an 80s businessman. Oh, yeah. And that was ah, John Byrne. John Byrne was the guy who did that. Because okay. he did um, Man of Steel, which was what they named the series for a little while, the comics for a little while. Mm-hmm. He he did the reboot for the, the post-crisis Superman, which actually, from what I understand, actually is a, if you want to get a good start to whatever, that's a good one. Uh, New 52 Superman's okay throughout the Grant Morrison run, and there's a couple decent parts, but for the most part, he's kind of unpopular. Mm-hmm. Where everybody kind of thinks of Superman, they think of the post-crisis Superman, mm-hmm. to the point where they brought him back for rebirth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, so you have um, yeah, you have the 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 business in Luke's Lex Luthor. You have she runs it. Um, I thought it was interesting when she, when she goes to Gotham City. And she talks to Batman. Yeah. Um, and she asks him about Alec Holland. And he's like, yeah, I've met with, you know, him before. If you've read the Swamp Thing run, what happens is, is the Swamp Thing's wife gets kidnapped, brought to Gotham City. So Swamp Thing goes there and turns the entire city of Gotham into a jungle. <laughs> <laughs> 
and Batman Sinclair has to would be proud. Yeah, yeah. Like ba- Batman has to intervene and like basically figure out what's going on and like this whole thing. So like when Batman says he met Swamp Thing before, like it's a little bit more complicated. <laughs> Everything in this in this comic is just sort of like, yeah, we know each other is a yeah. lot more complicated. Speaking of which, yeah. when she goes to uh, Arkham looking for answers, mm-hmm. that's that's a scene I very much enjoy because uh, you have for like three panels, uh, the Joker and I think the Riddler going back and forth, uh, uh, swapping jokes and riddles. Yes. Yes. And, uh, two face flipping a coin. One time he's, he's super helpful and polite. And then he gets the other side and he's like, I'm going to fucking kill you. (laughs) And Mad Hatter. What if, what is his name? Is it Mad Hatter or? Oh, uh, Jervis Tetch. Jervis Tetch. Hats. I'm going to fucking kill you. Oh, don't worry. He doesn't kill anybody. (laughs) Except when he does. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, She meets Poison Ivy, who's just Mm -hmm. like in her cell in the dark. She says she hasn't seen the sun in two weeks and Mm -hmm. she's feeding her plants dead rats. And uh, it kind of reminded me of the end of that terrible Batman movie that everyone remembers. Uh, What what was the one with uh, Uma Thurman? Batman and and Robin. Batman and Robin. Fucking Batman and Robin. (laughs) And I mean, I hated it as a kid because it was boring. Yeah. But uh, a buddy of mine who is much more into uh, comics than I am, he pointed out at the end when Ivy is in her cell at the very end uh, and uh, she's like holding a flower and she's mm-hmm. really sad. And then Mr. Freeze comes into her cell. <laughs> He's her new cell partner. I'm going to get your life will be a freezing hell. Yeah. It's just sort of like. The implications of that is really disturbing. It's, yes. It looks like the beginning of a rape scene in any other movie. <laughs> it was so upsetting. It's extremely upsetting. And then you get in this comic and she's like, the only reason I haven't been raped is because the guards are scared of me. Mm-hmm. And I won't get back into society unless some fat guy lets you go down on him. It's like, it's so gritty yeah. and upsetting. Oh, yeah. Well, this is, this is the era of... Uh, Everything from the Killing Joke mm-hmm. to obviously this. This is the era of Constantine getting his own comic of Swamp Thing going from this like kind of goofy horror comic to a cerebral thriller, existential thriller, essentially. Like DC was reinventing and letting creators really just test the waters with a bunch of different things. And like, really like even Sandman came out. Like I was looking at the date when this, this had come out Sandman ended up releasing between issue two and three. Cause this is a three issue series, but they're all of them are like oversized issues. Mm-hmm. Cause like, I think like the entire, cause I have the, uh, the, the, uh, the graphic novel that collects all three issues together. And I have the three issues. You have the three. I mean, that's honestly cooler. Um, I, 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 I kind of love it. Yeah. That's and great. it's how I read it originally. And each issue looks like a little book. Like yeah, they, yeah, they look like a little book. Yeah. Cause like, it's like, it's like a hundred and something ish pages, which normally would be like a six issue or some five issue or something like that mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. series. So definitely this was the event, I guess what I, I was reading online, I guess this actually, which I'm curious to read turned into its own series. Hmm. It was a different, it, it didn't hit Neil Gaiman was no longer working on it. I don't know if Dan McKean was, but it continues a story about, um, 
Flora and Susie. So I'm kind of curious about that. There's some really disturbing scenes in here. Like for example, there's a point. So something they show in it is that the, they're able to mimic the appearance of people. Yeah. And Susie is still like a little girl. Oh, I know what you're talking and about. And she's mimicking little girl. And there's this guy that comes up to her and basically says like he has like candy and all this other stuff. You want to see the kittens in the back of my van? Yeah. They're the sweetest kittens you've ever seen. Yeah. Oh, God. It, he <laughs> it actually says that. Yeah. doesn't show anything, but the implications there are very messed up. Yeah. And. I'm almost relieved when it shows up later and he just sells her to Lex Corp. And it's just like, oh, thank God. Yeah. He just sold her to the bad guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's disturbing. And because well, he looks like he's like this older guy. He looks like the kind of person that would like kidnap a, kid, a little girl, basically. Like, <laughs> what does a kidnapper look like, Gene? <sighs> um... A uh, lonely person. That's what I. Assume. Okay. That. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's subjective, but I'll take it. <laughs> I have no idea. But if you look, I mean, if you ever look at pictures like the news, and they always show like what kidnappers look like, they either look like meth heads or like really sad, lonely old men. Yeah. 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 It's like one or the other, you know. <laughs> so, so this this guy looks like a sad, lonely old man. Receding hairline, beard, mm-hmm. multiple jackets on. Yep. Mm. Yep. Yep. And they were in a cemetery, so he was walking in the cemetery by himself. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's every part of that is sad. It's very sad. So yeah. I mean this 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 comic is very colorful and it's very beautiful, but every part of it was so sad. And I I told you before mm-hmm. when I when I first read it, uh, I read it on vacation with my family and. Uh, we went to the beach and I was just sitting on the deck reading the book and I started crying. It was in the very last book. I don't remember mm-hmm. exactly what happened, but uh, I just started crying because I was just overwhelmed with a lot of emotion. And my mom comes up behind me and she says, Sean, what's wrong? And I said, just the book, just the book a lot. <laughs> She's like, Sean, it's a funny book. It's not. <laughs> I should say for clarification, like my parents allowed me to read whatever when I was a kid. I read Howard Stern's Private Mm -hmm. Parts when I was in middle school and they put no restrictions on what I could read, what I could watch. Yes. But what I could read, I could go whatever. Mm -hmm. However, my parents never took me to a comic book shop Mm -hmm. and I didn't get into comics until I was a grown ass adult because I had to wait until I could go there myself. Mm -hmm. They just. It wasn't respected. That happens. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, I was a little afraid of the comic shop in my hometown. Well, it's also, you're thinking of like, what, like, like how old were you at this time? There's sometime in the 90s, I'm guessing, or early 2000s? Uh, I was born in 88, so. Yeah, so uh, you're older than me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the 90s through the early aughts, I, uh couldn't go anywhere by myself so uh the one time i went into a comic shop while my mom was getting her hair done or something and Mm -hmm. uh i i pick up uh, an x-men and i'm thumbing through it and just the stereotypical comic book shop owner you know (laughs) 
bald but has a ponytail beard yeah. big guy t-shirt he's just like this isn't a library and it's just, i was so scared yeah. that i well, just didn't is, want to go back it's funny because that's not even how comic book shops are anymore no no not at all I, like this was this was when comic book uh popularity was sort of still on the fringe yeah for like it was counterculture it was definitely not what there was a lot of gatekeeping there was a lot of gatekeeping and there still is a little bit with like hardcore fans, but there a lot of, a lot more people are more open to it. Yeah. And I really, really got into comics, uh, sometime in 2009. Mm. I, I had just, okay, here's a story and stop me if I've told you this before, but, uh, I was fired from my lifeguarding job because I showed up a day late after doing mushrooms and <laughs> at least it didn't show up on mushrooms. No, no, no. My eyes were still pretty wide, but <laughs> I'm just picturing you're like, you're a lifeguard and you're on mushrooms and the person's around. You're like, wow, he's becoming one with the universe all over again. I've never noticed. I've never seen someone die before. <laughs> it's like, it's like the, it's like the ocean. <laughs> And his body are becoming one. And the ocean is like, hey, come down here with me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it was just a matter of scheduling. I didn't get the day off that I was supposed to. And it was just sort of like, okay, this is the last straw. You're out. And mm -hmm. they fired people really easily then because they could always get more. It was during yeah. the job crisis. They, they didn't care about us. Mm -hmm. And uh, my friend, the only friend I made at that job was like, hey, you look really upset. Do mm. you want to go to Gabby's with me? And I said, okay, I'll, I'll go to Gabby's with you. And could you just press off uh, on, on the oven, yeah, please? Here, one sec. Yeah. So we drive up to Olympia to Gabby's Cards and Comics, which is a warehouse sized comic book shop. And I am overwhelmed immediately because of the size of this place and there's so many different things and everybody's really happy. And I had just, I was really into Hunter S Thompson at the time. So yeah. I went for trans metropolitan. I picked up my very mm -hmm. first trans metropolitan and I was thumbing through it. And this short lady who looks like every middle school teacher comes up behind me and says, excuse me. And I said, I swear I'm going to buy something. <laughs> <laughs> I swear I'm going to buy something. This won't be. And she says, no, 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 no. Don't, don't. I just wanted to let you know that there are couches over there. If you want to sit down and read your book. Oh, and I just started crying. <laughs> and it turns out that that was Gabby who owned the shop. Nice. Yeah. And she's like, no, you can sit down. You can read whatever you want. It's a yeah. comic book shop. They're made to be enjoyed. And it's like, I've never been treated so nice in a comic book <laughs> shop before in my life. <laughs> Yeah, Gabby's is a great place. If you're ever yeah. in Olympia, Washington, check it out. Uh, they do they do school supplies drives for kids. It's That's really great. a great place. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Uh, Absolutely, I, I go to to uh, every once. I, it's been a little while, but I was going to, up to the comedy club because they do a uh, mic there where you can sign up online ahead of time. Oh yeah, I used to do that, and you can actually like yeah, it's nice because. Like over here in Portland, we have Helium Comedy Club. And the problem with that is you have to sign up the night of and then you have to hope that someone posts online because or you have to just stay there. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I'm always worried about that. And I know that's how they did it in the old days, but I got places to be. Exactly. I like the fact that you can go online at the beginning of the month, look on the this list for every open mic night that they're doing and see if you're on the, one of those lists or maybe more than one. If you're Yeah, they one. email you. And uh, the, the problem is, uh, well, not really a problem, but I remember the anxiety of getting on the third week and just thinking about it for three <laughs> weeks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, that is kind of exciting. And you also, the thing is, is because you're going to a comedy club, you have that, if you haven't been able to make as many mics, you can be like, okay, I'm going to hit some more mics so I can at least have a good set there. Because mm-hmm. um, that's the kind of, that's, that's the kind of place you want to go if you can get to get a good tape. You got also got to get someone who knows how to work a camera. Absolutely. But it's but, a good angle pretty much yeah. wherever because the stage is actually high and yes. <laughs> the ceiling is a little higher than most other comedy clubs, but not not ridiculous and no. uh, plenty of booths, plenty of tables, plenty of places to shoot. Yeah, and I, I really enjoy any time I go there. I've had my problem is that I, I when I was doing it earlier this year, I was, I was kind of reacclimating myself into the, the whole comedy thing mm-hmm. and so i was still working on a lot of new stuff so i'd have the time end on like a lesser note mm. which if you're doing a set especially in front of a large crowd of people you want to end on a good like a good like end on line. a whimper don't win on a whimper and on, yeah. i just imagine that uh <laughs> elrich horror kind of thing where you're reading a diary and then it just kind of like the pencil just trails off yeah. as a person's being dragged <laughs> away that's how the set ended <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, so, and that's honestly that, um, talking a little about comedy, I think that in like getting, finding really good jokes to end your set on can be kind of difficult because you yeah. might, it's easy to have like opening jokes can also be a little difficult, but that's a little easier. Mm-hmm. Middle jokes are fine. The nice thing about the middle is you can experiment a little bit more in the middle of your set. Yeah. If you're, especially if you're working on new jokes, that's a good place to put it. But at the end of your set, if something doesn't land very well, you're just going to like walk away and everybody's like, you know, yeah. Over the pandemic, I threw away all of my old material. And, uh, two months ago I started writing again and Mm -hmm. now I'm up to almost 10 workable minutes. And that's good. I always end on my strongest joke and I'm trying to, um, if I don't want to do that one because it's down or I did it earlier that night, yeah. uh, try and end on a callback that's a that's a nice cheat way to uh that is a really good way yeah um my second no first year of doing the helium comedy class or comedy class comedy um club cl- uh competition portland's ah. funniest, funniest competition um i like that the great thing about it is they have is they say portland's funniest person they don't say portland's funniest comedian because a lot of people go there that have never done comedy or just don't do comedy any other time of the year. They're just like, I want to do my clog up the sign yeah, up sheet. Basically. Yeah. It's fucking awful. Um, but, <laughs> but it is Portland. So we let the weirdos in. Yeah, I guess. And they make money off of it. So it's uh, of course they do. Um, so <laughs> I really charge you eight really... bucks for a well drink. Of course they, they're in yeah. it to make money. <laughs> I mean, you get a free, that's one nice thing. You get a free drink. With yeah. the with the thing, but um, whatever they have to do to stay in business, I yeah. mean, it's a precarious situation for sure. So um, I ended up I ended with a call back, and it actually went pretty well. The problem was then I ended up trying to do something else, and then it just 
kind of whimpered a little bit. Like okay. that one extra, it's that one extra line that you just cut out. You just realize don't in there. <laughs> you put an extra tag that was just sort of like, man, you didn't have to go that far. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that before. <laughs> yeah, but it happens. Um, but yeah, let's get back to uh, Black Orchid. Yeah, 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 sure. All right, so I'm trying to think the last thing we were talking about here. Uh, well, we were talking about the plot, the art style, and uh, the different characters that make appearances, because this is like a hodgepodge of who's who in um, yes. in DC at the time. Well, it's like a hodgepodge of like the darker side of the DC, though. Absolutely. Because you don't see Superman, you don't see Wonder Woman, you're not seeing the Flash in here. You're not seeing like any of the brighter characters. You're mm-hmm. definitely seeing. So you keep on saying it's colorful. Mm-hmm. I would say it is, but there are a lot of like darker or subdued versions of colors. I think I notice the colors more because they are in contrast to all of the grayscale of the yeah, regular cause, world. Because literally, yeah, most of it's in gray. Um, and then there are, yeah, there's these colors, and but there's never really anything that like if it was by its own. I would be like, that's a happy color. (laughs) You're right. Even when they're in the Amazon and the entire background is green, it's just kind of like a, a suffocating green. It's like, there's so much green. You get lost and consumed by all the green. Mm -hmm. So let's burn down the Amazon. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's There's actually a big part of that is that they, when, when Lex Luthor's, um, a group of men that he sends go yeah. into the Amazon. They there's actually an Amazonian um, tribe there that's yes. protecting them. They actually find them sacred. Like look at her as a sacred being and all this other stuff. And it's interesting because it starts out and they're they're all it's it's kind of very like. <laughs> Indiana Jones, like the bad guys are like going to get the person or whatever. The only thing missing is the one person kidnapped to go find them, you know? Um, and then it just ends like they, they end up going there and, uh, there's one, one, they, the, what's this? The, uh, husband, ex-husband is there. He ends up killing someone. They kill him. Mm-hmm. Um, and thank fucking God. Right. Yeah. <laughs> his, his, his arc throughout this is very just dark. Yes. He's one of those people like, uh, everything horrible about, uh, the masculine mm-hmm. gangster lifestyle. He's that. I think it's funny. It's though, it's during that period of time where they just kept on putting characters in trench coats. Yes. Like he kind of has trench coat. A, he has a, he has a, right. Oh yeah. Well, there's a trench coat brigade brigade. Brigade. Excuse uh, me. Yes. Trench coat mafia is something completely different. Oh yeah. That's yeah. the, the guys before the school shooters. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, um, but the trench coat brigade is, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, um, mystery. Uh, John Constantine, uh, the Phantom Stranger, and then there's one other, and I can't remember who it is. I think mm-hmm. Doctor Occult is the other one. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other thing. Trench but. coats were super popular at that time. Yeah, and and then there's of course there's the character that Grant Morrison created, and I can't remember his name, but he was for Doom Patrol because they wouldn't let him use John Constantine, <laughs> <laughs> which is interesting because Grant Morrison had written issues of John Constantine. So is Neil Gaiman. There's actually a couple issues with Neil Gaiman and Dave McKean that actually worked on like a couple issues. It's I find Dave McKean interesting because he never really illustrates a happy story. I don't think I've seen any of his work. Even like um, there's a film that most people probably never heard of, and it's called um, Mirror Mask. 
Mm-hmm. It was actually written by No Game, and I believe Dave McKean both did the art and directed it, actually. And it is a very dark fairy tale. It's very good, but it's very much like this kind of style where everything's either gray or like these like colors that are sort of gothic, you know? Yeah. Um, I would highly, if anyone has the chance, it was done by uh, the special effects and everything were done by Jim Henson's Creatures. Um, and there's, it was very much enjoyed by girls who wear black lipstick. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure there's a, there's a combination of, uh, CG, but it's in a style. It's some might, might look at it and think it's a dated, but I think it's in such a unique style that it still kind of works. I'm going to have to check it out because I really love this style. Yeah, it's very interesting. It reminds me more of if you've ever seen his covers for, for, um, Sandman. Ah, sort of like the style he does for that and the sort of like modern art-esque feel to it it has that to it it's it's so weird because like there's these like cats that have human faces and like Mm -hmm. it's just i'll I'll show you i'll show you a little bit about it after it's such a unique departure from comics because we think of comics and they're um if you think of like golden age comics Mm -hmm. they're like very detailed and they look like cigarette ads and (laughs) the colors are primary and yes. uh then vibrant. you get vibrant yeah everything's very bright very vibrant and everyone kind of looks everyone's got a chin and yeah. <laughs> everyone's got a strong chin yeah and uh you get into this and half the times the characters are just kind of blending into their backgrounds they're mm-hmm. half shadow and half half person so it's like it's very different than what you think of with comics it's oh yeah well especially at the time oh yeah 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 well because like even at the time they were still doing that style. Like if you look at Neil Adams stuff, um, he was the one who kind of popularized, he was the Batman style for a long time where he had the blue mm-hmm. and the, yeah, like you, for some reason, Batman, even though he's supposed to have a black suit, he had a blue that uses as a primary color and he more this, friendly like, to kids. Exactly. <laughs> like they had this style that was like, they weren't really using shading as much or they would do shading, but it was done with uh, just, primarily the inks for it itself there wasn't like there wasn't much differential in colors it's a departure from that uh dot coloring thing that they did a lot of the times in the 50s and 60s yeah yeah so yeah there's definitely a period of time and it kind of went through the 90s a little bit i didn't realize this until i was like reading comics Mm -hmm. um i i've always liked comics but i've really got into more so than ever before during the pandemic i just like bought a shit ton of stuff yeah i've been following that you you would message me a couple of times and say like i spent two hundred dollars on comics this week i was like jesus christ are you eating (laughs) yes (laughs) just really bad junk food um (laughs) i was worried about you for a while (laughs) yeah i'm i'm i for the most part have stopped buying i'm starting to sell stuff on ebay and stuff like that yeah is good but it also means i'm gonna buy other stuff <laughs> one of the times after hanging out with you i mm-hmm. i drove past uh a couple of blocks from your place and it said comic book shop and i was like i just came from hanging out with gene why don't i stop in a yeah. comic book shop and i had to ring the bell to get in it was yes. down as you know the place yes, yes i do yes and it's a basement full of comics half in boxes half in shelves and there's a guy who just kind of appears from behind a curtain. And I mm-hmm. think he lives there. I think, I think he, so. I forgot the name of the place, but yeah, he, 
that's a good place to check out mm-hmm. if I can remember the place. If you're looking for um, a lot of stuff, that's I think it's Future Dreams. That's what it's called, Future Dreams. Yeah. So if you're ever in Portland, uh, or if you're ever in Portland, Oregon, obviously, um, and you go off of Burnside over sort of middle, almost southeast Portland, like right between. It's honestly right between. <laughs> North Portland and South Portland, basically. Um, Central Portland. Central Portland. Uh, there's a place off of Burnside. You wouldn't even know it's there. It's called Future Dreams. It's uh, in a residential area. It's in a residential area. Um, he has a lot of stuff. I've been able to get stuff that's out of print from him. Oh, yes. Times. Like, he has a pretty good selection. Obviously, there's limits just like anywhere else. But definitely a good shop to check out. And while we're plugging places, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Excalibur Comics, also Mm. in Portland, Oregon. I called three different comic book shops looking for Black Orchid and uh, both in Vancouver Mm -hmm. and Portland. And they were the ones that finally had it. So they were very polite. They were very helpful and it's a small place but it's uh just chock full of comics they got a pretty good selection and they're actually a favorite of a lot of place of a lot of comic book artists and writers that are in portland actually oh yeah um they talk about like brian michael bendis has a box there because like so for people who are listening to this just for comedy or whatever or just interested in tipping their toes in the comic books um comic book shops will have this thing will they'll, they'll give you discounts if you buy comics sort of subscribe to them and have them come in these like boxes like these kind of cubby boxes basically um so there's a lot of comic book writers and or artists that live in portland um and have for a while like brian michael bendis i don't know if he still does matt, matt fraction did um these are both people who work with marvel I'm trying to think. Uh, Craig Thompson for the longest time lived in Portland. He did Blankets, which was an earlier episode we did. Um, there's there's a lot of people, a lot of creative people that live out here. I don't mm-hmm. know who's still here. Some people have moved. I believe Greg Rucka still lives here. I believe that uh, I can't remember. There's a lot. There's a lot. It's a fun place to live. So I guess. <laughs> so they, you're uh, unimpressed because you're from here. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so they will, a lot of them go to Excalibur actually. And, and sometimes they'll just be hanging out there and stuff. Absolutely. Like it's a cool. cool spot. And yeah, uh, off of Hawthorne I, Boulevard. And the cubby thing that you were talking about, I didn't know they still did that. Cause I, I yeah. heard about that kind of thing. Yeah. You just go there, you tell them because what they, they'll give you discount basically because it's sort of the idea of buying in bulk. Mm-hmm. So like uh, most places will, um, things from another world. It's, Honestly, it's a great way to support your local comic book shop is to do that because they'll they'll help you out. You help them out, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, it'll also make sure you do get the books you want to get because mm-hmm. sometimes things, you know, get out of uh, – they'll have to do like a second printing or a third printing or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, and sometimes that's a wait. So what you do is you just tell them, hey, I want to have – I want to subscribe, get sort of get these books. And so they'll, they'll put it there and then you'll just – go once a week or once a month or whatever and come in and get your books and yeah, obviously you have to pay for them but i mean it's a chore but it's a labor of love to keep your local comic book shop alive Absolutely. and uh I, I i'm not sure if i told you this but um i hated my birthday for years yeah and uh right around that time is free comic book day so yeah. i told my friends we're not celebrating my birthday, but that week we're hitting five different comic book shops yep. because it's free comic book day. You go there and they have these cheap magazine things uh, mm-hmm. that the the shop gives out, but 
also buy something. You go in, you buy yeah. something. Yeah, you do. I was proposed to on free comic book day. <laughs> My ex-fiance yeah. called the shop ahead of time, had a special comic made. Really? Talking about how much they loved me and all of our time together mm. and had me read it in front of people. They were upset that I didn't read it out loud, but the comic wow. book shop, the comic book owner comes up to me, hands me the book and says, I'm not leaving till you read this. Okay. <laughs> Started giving you a back rub too, which was really weird. <laughs> so I'm, I'm reading the thing <laughs> and I'm just sort of like, oh, this is so sweet. They love me. And mm. then I get to the last page of, will you be my husband? Yeah. And I look down and there they are on their knees holding a ring and everyone in the comic book shop, Gabby's. So there's yeah. a couple hundred people in there all staring at me with their phones out. <laughs> and I was so scared. Yeah, I was so scared. I didn't even say yes. I said, get up, stupid. And <laughs> held them in really close and whispered in their ear. Yes, yeah. sure. But yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. like, I also okay. also. <laughs> fuck public uh uh proposals don't do that give them the opportunity to say no (laughs) yeah i've i don't know it just depends on the person because like i remember someone like i had a friend who like he got this one this girl's like entire almost entire family there and like she was all happy but she was colombian so like Mm-hmm. That might be a cultural difference too, like because one of those cultures where you ask permission, maybe that, and I think it's also those cultures where like they're they're a lot more family centric. Oh yeah, like a lot of Latin, Latin kind of like South American stuff. Uh, they're a lot more family centric than maybe say like most Americans these days. <laughs> maybe yeah, <laughs> you know the difference between like. Oh man, I gotta go for Thanksgiving and I'm gonna have to see all my fucking family to like, Hey, so, uh, before we go on this date, I need you to meet my uncle, my aunt, my dad, my mom, my brothers, my sisters, my nephews, my niece. Yeah. Three generations live in this house. Yeah. And it happens. Uh, I remember, uh, I had a friend who I'd lived with for a little while. I lived in like this house with a bunch of guys. Um, and uh, he was talking about how that's very normal. Like you, it was actually a lot of times you're like, it's offensive if you leave before you do this. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, God, I really am attracted to Latinas, but I don't know if I want to date one because I don't like meeting people's families. <laughs> Maybe date a Cuban woman because. <laughs> Are they like, I don't know. No, it's just like traveling from here to Cuba is hard. Oh, right. So the entire family's back in Cuba. I mean, this is. Like thinking that the family's not living there, though. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> I need you to meet my cousin who I met when I got here, but they're still a cousin. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You never know. I mean, and obviously this is just based off of like cultural norms. I'm not saying that everybody is this way. This is just things that I've heard from mm-hmm. people who are from the culture. say, yeah, And a lot of like, older cultures do that. Uh, like in well, New it, York there in New York, there are some families that uh, it's expected once an apartment opens up in mm-hmm. that building, uh, you live in the same building as your parents or your, your yeah. family members. Like, it, Oh, did you ever see the Dom DeLuise movie fatso? No. Oh, it's a very good one. Mm-hmm. 
It was directed by Anne Bancroft, and uh, she also plays Dom's sister in it. Mm-hmm. And one of the ongoing things is uh, Dom DeLuise's character is trying to lose weight, but he's a <laughs> big Italian guy from a big oh, Italian yeah. family. And uh, they're pressuring him to lose weight, but also he cooks all the time. So mm-hmm. they're in the same house and he makes a big pan of lasagna. And then for himself, he makes like a egg white omelet with spinach. <laughs> and <it's>, <sighs> <sighs> thrilling. <laughs> so you're talking about the big families too. Yeah. Um, I remember back, this was goddamn like 14 years ago, but my sister-in-law um, who at the time was just dating my brother, she had gone, she was studying abroad for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, she was talking about, she was in Italy and like most of the guys would be like in their thirties and they were like living with their parents because the idea was like, you, you were, the whole idea is you go out and you find a girl. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. I've read that yeah. that's very common. They yeah. don't move out until they're married. Yeah. yeah. And then they expect their, their wife to treat them like their mom did. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, a, that's, a, I think that, I think the concept of us, of the independence from family is actually very, might just be like a very American thing. Probably because we had, we are descended from people that had to leave their families behind. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's fascinating because like people get, you know, some people might get offended or something else like that. I'm like, this is, we're the ones that are fucking, uh, fucking up here with like, <laughs> we're I mean, you're not wrong. We're that like the concept that like more people are like moving back with their families during the pandemic or just due to hard times. We're just doing what the rest of the world has basically just continued to do for a long time. I'm not saying everybody does this. Not everybody has a family, but like for the most part, most cultures, they do. Yeah. My ex was very intimidated by my family and Mm -hmm. said that we were clannish, uh, not in the white hoods wearing way, but, uh, well, she was Brown. So that did Uh, have kind of a, (laughs) yeah, gotcha connotation. But, um, the the last three generations of my family have lived in the same two counties and a bunch of cousins and uncles and all living in the same area and the family reunions are overwhelming and i would say that's like tribal that's that's i mean that's clannish in the scottish sense yeah yeah i get get that yeah like the the mcleod clan yeah yes (laughs) i'm from clan neil yeah, exactly. Actually, I do have a clan crest of my of my family. Yes. Yeah, it's 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 interesting because like things changed once you know once travel opened up and everything else like that. But for the longest time, people would just live in the same town that they die. They would die in the same town they were born in. They would they would maybe go a hundred. They they might not even go a hundred miles away from where they lived. Oh yeah. Like you think about people like talking about going on like a walkabout or, or some form of like, like becoming a man and going out. They probably only went like 20 miles away or something. Like probably. That. Yeah. <laughs> they just like walked. They went around. They went out in the woods and they, they did whatever they had to do and then came back. And All of this while walking. All of this. Well, well yeah, because that's what they had available yeah. to them or horses, you know. Um, horses are for rich people. Right. You walk like a good peasant man. <laughs> Ah, classism. <laughs> so, um, is there anything else you wanted to say about Black Orchid? Any any other like um, anything that's you know this is something you've read multiple times that I've only this is the first time I've read it. Oh yes. Um, well, it's uh, 
definitely a very good trip. It will pull at your heartstrings and it's uh, great for somebody who's searching for their own identity or mm-hmm. just uh, the alternative to horse girls, uh, plant girls. This is for <laughs> you. This is absolutely for you. Um, and uh, I, I just recommend it to anybody who loves a different kind of art style or. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Neil Gaiman is a great writer. Oh, so he's, he's so the dialogue is very good. Yeah, it's believable. It's not it's not hokey and it's not even like indicative of a lot of, of 80s was so it was so weird because it would be comics a are known for cheesy di- dialogue. Be this dichotomy of like really cheesy, yeah. hammy dialogue. And then there would be another art writer who was just doing something completely elevated and ahead of its time. And this is definitely ahead of its time. Mm hmm. So, um, oh, the one, the one other thing I wanted to point out, the thing I just wanted to say that really kind of tickled me when I was reading it was the moment when Jar when, when she's walking out and Jarvis Tetch is walking her out or whatever, she gives him a flower and she, he's like, no one's ever given me a flower before. And he gets all excited. He runs off to tell his friends, yeah. look, she gave me a flower. She gave me a flower. <laughs> I just really like it's that It's so moment. cute. It's really cute. Um, I mean, he's a dangerous man, oh, but yeah. it's very cute. Oh yeah. He talks, he talks about like the hats, how like hats can be dangerous, but it's only the ones that if he they were yeah. the ones he hits. I have a saying: guns don't kill people, hats do. Of course, you have to be wearing one of my hats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I imagine he talks like that. <laughs> <laughs> Something. I mean, he, different uh, different writer or different cartoons and movies have had him had different um, depictions for sure. Um, let's see here. Oh yeah, so on. A, oh, I'm trying to think here now. Uh, on, a, on a scale of one to ten plant entities, what would you uh, give this comic? I'd give it ten violet orchids. Ten violet orchids? Awesome. Yeah, I would I would give it probably about a nine, nine point five. I do really like it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, it's... I don't know. It's hard for me to give anything a 10 because I don't know. If I only give it a 10 because I feel like it stands on its own and I mm-hmm. didn't investigate further for anything that came after or anything mm-hmm. that came before. And it's great for if you're not super into comics or if you're new into comics, mm-hmm. because uh, for as deep as it goes into other characters, it's not critical that you understand everything. No, they are their backdrops and them what they're doing is they're essentially it's showing that it does exist in the main continuity of the dc universe while still being its own standalone storyline within it Mm -hmm. self-contained i don't i i don't know if i would say standalone but i would say self-contained storyline yes self-contained um all right so there's a few questions i have um what was the first, do you remember like some of the earlier stuff that within comic book zeitgeist, was it that first time you went to the comic shop or were there other things that you had that really stood out to you when you were a kid? Well, I, I said that my parents didn't take comic books seriously, but my dad as bedtime stories would read me Calvin and Hobbes because that is, it's like the George Carlin of, uh, of <laughs> comics because it's silly, but everybody kind of like elevates it to yeah. another level. Um, so I read those a ton growing up and whenever I could, I went to bookshops a lot and occasionally they would have, um, one-offs and trade paperbacks of those mm-hmm. kind of things. And I would buy those. Uh, I I've always been a collector of books. I, yeah. I have a, uh, 
Oxford tome of the psychology of how men relate to their penises. I haven't read it, but I, <laughs> I love that I have it. It's called a mind of its own. I've had it for 12 awesome. years and I have not gotten rid of it. I have Henry Hill, uh, the guy from Goodfellas. I have his cookbook that I'm reading right now. Nice. I have some men I got in the oven for right after this. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I've always been a collector of books. I love books. And mm-hmm. uh, I guess watching a lot of documentaries and hearing about how comics had been elevated made me want to get into yeah. the elevated comics. So when I was a young man, I started buying the transmets, which is something that I go back to and reread every couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything by Alan Moore. I've got V for Vendetta and Watchmen and all of that good mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, there's also uh, Astro City. I, I've read mm-hmm. a couple of issues of Astro City, which is a lot of fun because it goes into the, the backdrop of uh, what happens in a comic book universe without yeah. focusing on the heroes so that's a lot of there was one that was told from the perspective of the villains in a little shanty mm-hmm. town which was so fun for me yeah it's been around i think 25 years maybe a little longer something like that yeah so uh more than superman's and batman's because mm-hmm. i got into this so late that it was um it all seemed like kid stuff by the time i got there so i i do these uh departure comics a lot yeah yeah and when i was a teenager i was a poser i was a (laughs) i acted like i loved comics because nerds had the had the um permission to become obsessed with things and i become obsessed with things very easily and uh i said that i was super into x-men without reading x-men yeah. What I did have was a giant encyclopedia all about the history of X-Men. So I knew storylines and characters that diehard fans would know without ever having to read the thing. <laughs> and that's how I got through AP English, too. I didn't read a lot of books. I read three books all about great works of literature. Yeah. And I knew tons of uh, uh, movements in literature and mm. why... Uh, which brunette sister did this and that. But it's, it's like the equivalency of now when people just go on Wikipedia and read all about stuff. A hundred percent. I was yeah. ahead of the curb in that people thought I was smart. <laughs> no, 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 I, I just, I skipped ahead. Yeah. You just got the encyclopedia version of a, exactly. Thing. Yeah. That's all I fine. needed to know. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's more than a lot of people know. A lot of people know like a lot about one thing. And then they know nothing about anything else. And they have like, or they have a very minor, but they don't even go to that depth of like investigation and knowledge mm-hmm. because even that, even reading about these things is still more than most people. Yeah. I'm a fan of deep cuts and I don't even mm-hmm. realize that they're deep cuts until I try to work them into jokes. And someone mm-hmm. from the audience yells, no one's heard of that. <laughs> we don't know who Shane McGowan is. <laughs> Who's yep. Sam Spade. Yeah, you are saying names I don't recognize. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Those were all jokes that I tried, and the audience was not having it. Yeah, you had to have the right, you have to have the right demeanor or something to be able to. Get I mean, Patton gets away with it because he's so quick, and he yes. moves on to broader topics immediately afterwards. If you if he mm-hmm. drops a literary reference and you don't get it, too bad because uh, yeah. he's on to something else right afterwards. Exactly. Um, so you kind of said it a little bit. Uh, do you have like a top five as far as like comics, like graphic novel or series or what have you? Uh, 
Let's see. Uh, well, Transmet is at my very top, obviously. Transmetropolitan. Mm -hmm. uh, I've met the illustrator. Mm -hmm. uh, saw him at a comic shop when he was on vacation with his family, but still stopping at uh, comic book shops to <laughs> sign <laughs> in his station wagon. Uh, <laughs> okay, Transmet at the top. Uh, Black Orchid number two, because it made mm -hmm. me cry twice when I was still able to cry before SSRI, SSRIs. Mm. Um, I'm going to say uh, Pop-Tart and uh, V for Vendetta, mm -hmm. Sandman, and uh, honestly, the Peanuts. Okay. Because there's something very pure about the Peanuts series, and mm -hmm. it gets really sad at times. Yeah. I've been called Charlie Brown most of my life because <laughs> I go back and forth from whimsical to just wow, this is really depressing. Which is interesting because I feel like we live in a world of Linuses. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people just not. I mean, I definitely can relate to the Charlie Brown because I think a Charlie Brown would be a curmudgeon as an adult. Oh, absolutely. So. You you fit the Charlie Brown Yeah, I asked him motif. bald. So. <laughs> That helps you bald child. But like, yeah, there's definitely the Linus aspect because a lot of people are afraid to, to reach out to anything outside of their comfort zone and they're you know they have the security blanket lifestyle i've dated a few lucy's yeah <laughs> at least <laughs> yeah um yeah um let's see one more um and then of course the other thing i like to ask is um what what originally inspired you to do comedy when I was a kid, I watched every stand-up special that came out on Comedy Central and uh, HBO when my family got a satellite dish because we were in the middle of nowhere. And it was just like amazing to me that you could just get up in front of people and be funny. Mm -hmm. And like any kid that watches stand-up, you think, oh, I want to do that. I want to be that. And then I tucked it away to the back of my head for years. Yeah. And uh, I became an actor. Uh when I went to Catholic school, uh, we had a Christmas program every year that you had to be in whether you wanted to or not. <laughs> and I just kind of went with it and I got really good at public speaking. Mm -hmm. And when I went to high school, I immediately went out for plays and was in every play uh, for three years. Yeah. Then I went into a community theater and I was just acting all the time. And then... I hit a wall, got disillusioned with it, disillusioned mm -hmm. with the politics of of small town theater and the fact that I wasn't progressing and I was never going to go to Hollywood. I was never going to be in people's independent films. Yeah. And I thought, why don't I give comedy a try? Because I can do that in my own timetable without uh, without uh, going to rehearsal because mm -hmm. every mic is a rehearsal. Yeah, for sure. And that was eight years ago. So <laughs> I sucked for a long time, but I mm -hmm. approached it like an actor did. Yeah. Now I'm approaching it like a comic did does because it's it's different. It's it very is. different. You, it is. You're a writer of your own stuff. Yeah. And I think you have to rehearse more as a comic than you do out there as a maybe not. But like most people. That's debatable. It depends on who you are. Um, you have to decide on who your character is and then yes. kind of stick to that. And that's something that I struggled with for a long time because mm -hmm. I, 
hubris told me that I was uh, I was many different characters. Yeah, that's a that's a problem. I think that <laughs> I think that's why some some people are able to just very quickly get into that character, and then some people go years before they find it. People who never acted before kind of have a leg up sometimes because yeah. they were funny already, mm-hmm. and they know just leading into this attitude, I can continue to be funny. I can't imagine Bernie Mac going to Juilliard or <laughs> you never know. <laughs> It'd be funny if that was all an act. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy. The thing for me is that I, I've always been so in my head that like, it's taken me a while to finally figure out myself. And I still sometimes jump between characters depending on what I'm feeling. Yes. Like you definitely lean into that curmudgeonly type uh, mm-hmm. sometimes just that uh, the guy that just shits on everything. Yes. <laughs> I honestly, that's the kind of stuff that makes me laugh to it, myself. It, it is funny. It is funny. And honestly, looking at you, no offense meant, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you do look like the kind of guy that, that just kind of ducks out his window and says, Everything you're doing is stupid. <laughs> Slam window. <laughs> I'm really excited to be able to chew kids off my yawn. I say that. Um, <laughs> Can't wait till you bust a knee so you can walk with a cane to shake at people. <laughs> or tie or throw at them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my whole aesthetic right now is like I run a used bookstore. So I mean, yeah. Yeah. I think that's just mostly been your aesthetic since I've known you. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. <laughs> so cool. Um, let's see here. Um, so uh, just uh, at the end here, is there anything you would like to plug? I know you do. Uh, you do like something with. Um, I forgot, like a riff track kind of thing. Or? Oh yes, absolutely. Um, I run the. Uh, Mystery Science 3000 meetup in Portland, Oregon. We meet Mm -hmm. like once a month, uh, sometimes twice to uh, watch an old episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000 and riff at it. I'm Mm -hmm. also involved in uh, Michael Garcia's uh, two shows sometimes, Mm -hmm. which are uh, Forgotten Fantasies and... uh, uh, Oh, geez. Forgotten Fantasies and... uh, VHS Vengeance. VHS Vengeance. Thank you. uh, Where... He shows videos and uh, the comedians react to them. Mm. Uh, so it's like a panel show? It is a panel show, yes. Yeah. It, the, the really fun panel shows. Uh, I would go into more detail about them, but they're not my babies. I just sure. try to help whenever I can. Uh, is, there, is there a place you can people can find these, uh, these online? Absolutely. Uh, VHSvengeance.tv. I think that's uh, where you can find all of Michael's stuff. Uh, Continue to plug things. Uh, My ex is a professional uh, cosplayer. Follow Racinian Gray on Instagram. (laughs) Uh, Follow Sean K. O'Neill on Instagram. That's where I am. Mm -hmm. Uh, My podcast is on hiatus, but next month we're going to bring back Try Hard Podcast. And that's where you can find me. Cool. Cool. Of course, as always, you can find me on Instagram at uh, Nearly Functional Comedy, at Nearly Functional Comics. I actually did my first comic strip in like almost a year recently, so you can check out that single comic strip. (laughs) 
I was going to do more, but I lost my uh, pen that I used to draw on my laptop. Um, and I had to wait till I have money to buy a new one. What are um, you in? Pr- you said pen, and I'm like, what are you in prison? You have no. to. <laughs> no, there's so no I more a, pens. I have a stylus. I have to use. wait for someone to smuggle in another pen. <laughs> it's like a fifty dollar uh, stylus that I have to get. So I just moved, and so I, I got to figure out to see if I can find it. Otherwise, I got to buy it again. Um, and then, of course, you can find this at Obsessive Comic Disorder, also on Instagram. Um. And of course, if you're ever just in Portland or uh, Vancouver, um, I'm bald and bearded, so you'll never find me. <laughs> uh, and chubby, once again, never find me. Um, I'm bearded in glasses and wear a sweater. I blend right in. <laughs> <laughs> We're the unknowables. Um, so... Thanks for listening. Uh, Once again, I'm Gene DeWeber. My guest today was Sean O'Neill. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Gene. Absolutely. Everybody, have a great day. Oops.